0: Bet365
1: sponsors this podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. The app lets you access pre match and in play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. This app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. <laughs> Welcome to 1874, the podcast that brings you the definitive word on Aston Villa Football Club every single week. Now, obviously, with the current landscape, there's not any actual football to talk about, but Greg and I are so, so lucky that we're going to be joined by Mark Bosnich later in the show to go over his time at Aston Villa, in particular the 1998-99 season, his final season at Villa Park, in line with what the Athletic are doing in their written pieces at the moment a hero of mine as a kid I'm absolutely buzzing to speak to him but first of all Greg how are you?
0: Yeah well uh, as good as can be Dan obviously it's uh, a very strange and uncertain time for everybody involved in football well everybody in England and the world I suppose so I uh, yeah. hope all our listeners out there are healthy and staying safe and and you know get, getting by in their lives um, in the best way possible because you know we know it's very difficult for everyone at the moment obviously great to have Mark Bosnich coming on to join us shortly I suppose we should we should address the current situation really uh, just, yeah, just sure. at Villa to 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 update everyone. I mean, the the training ground was was closed um, on Tuesday. The, the, the players trained as normal uh, on Monday, and the plan was to continue training until otherwise suggested. But because of this coronavirus and uh, uh, you know and the, and the government warnings, the decision was made to, to close the training ground, and rightly so. And there will be a review next week to see whether the players will be coming back or not. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of the rest of the season, yet there's a big Premier League and Football League meeting on Thursday, so we will know more then.
1: I mean, we joked last week that maybe we'd have something positive to talk about Villa-wise, this week, I mean, the positive is we haven't lost a game because we haven't played. I'm, I'm surprised VAR didn't find a way to, to, to deduct us points or something with with there being no games. But what kind of a situation is it as, as a journalist now? It must must be so bizarre to just not have games to write about. I know the Athletic don't do out and out match reports anyway, but the games are the, are the stuff you go with, and that leads the week. Just how is it for you on a personal basis?
0: Uh, yeah, it's 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 strange, obviously, because all as a journalist uh, covering an individual team, a lot of the focus is around the games and. Is around um What's happening in the season? How the team are getting on? How the team are performing? But it was very encouraging to hear from you know our big bosses that we will be providing you know detailed, exclusive, insightful stories throughout this uncertain period. It just gives us as journalists a little bit of freedom to be a little bit more creative. You know you'll be reading a lot more nostalgic pieces from myself, some more features with with players and older players, and you you just it just gives me a bit of time to uh, to write things a little bit different to how I would normally write things. I mean it's kind of like the summer but without a transfer window uh yeah. obviously there's a there's a much bigger bigger issue going on here with with the coronavirus and and the problems that the country and the rest of the world's facing at the moment but um you know for me i'm, I'm working from home every day which is still a little bit unusual <laughs> and uh you know I'm, I'm trying to provide as many updates as i possibly can
1: you're right Greg what this has actually done it's given us a chance to be a little bit more nostalgic and we've been lucky enough that the Athletic have sorted out Mark Bosnich to come on our podcast and have a chat with us so Mark thanks ever so much for joining us here on 1874 it's a real pleasure to have you on absolute hero to me as a kid growing at watching you at Villa Park what is it that you're up to now I sometimes flick through the channels and I see the, the yep. Australian soccer come up and I see you on my screen which is always <laughs> good, to, good to see but what are you up to now
2: yeah and thank you very much for that introduction um I've been back in the Australia for about 10 years now um, and the company I work for Fox Sports was the equivalent of Sky thankfully gave me a job to talk about something that I they love very much which is football and I, I do a, a bit on Sky News and it's really early in the morning as well so you'll be able to see that but it's really early in the morning on a, on a Monday morning. So I did something that I love for a long time and, and now I'm talking about it.
1: How was it when Villa were in the Championship? Was was it hard for you to, to follow them for that three year absence from the Premier League? Did, did they get the AFL over there?
2: Yeah, no, no, it's not because we do get the AFL over here. Um, I was following them. It was it was difficult following um, them in, in you know such a big club and such a big part of my life uh, playing in the Championship. I was so happy um, when they when they won that playoff final against Derby County um, and to put them back in the Premier League where they belong. But um, obviously with the circumstances that are going on right now around the world uh, things are suspended uh, as they are but it's been a difficult time uh, in the Premier League this season for them there's no doubting that.
0: Was you starting to get a little bit concerned Mark before the um, obviously before all the you know the coronavirus issues that, that Villa were heading back into that division?
2: Yeah a little bit a little bit I mean and funny enough uh, you know all the talk with, with the League Cup final and they've done brilliant to get to, to the League Cup final uh, don't get me wrong and Um, I was all happy about that, but just in the back of my mind was the thought that, uh, you know, when you do get to such a big final, that the league is, I wouldn't say, you know, completely neglected, but it's just only, it's only natural for it to put a little bit on the back burner. So there's, you know, you don't play a game and, and, and it's a little bit different when, you know when you're around the top of the table. So when we won the league cup back in '96 and we end up finishing fourth, and even though sometimes the league games took a maybe a, you could say a backward step because we we're also in the FA Cup up until the semi-final, it, it doesn't have the same focus as it has. And same in '94, I think we ended up finishing about 10th. So that's when it started to sort of enter my mind that I remember, you know, actually doing an interview on Sky News in the UK saying, you know, uh, all well and good. I really, you know, hope from the bottom of my heart that they win that uh, league cup, but it would be no consolation if they happen to win the league cup and get relegated. The most important thing for them is to consolidate and to stay in the premier league. And right now at this moment in time, it is pretty precarious and must be said, especially what's going on with the virus and and we don't know whether or not, um, or or when uh, the premier league will resume. Do, do, do you have any thoughts or
0: opinions on it, Mark, of, of how the you know the season should be resolved?
2: Well, if it was up to me, first and foremost, you'd, I mean, you'd speak to the, the chief medical officer, whoever that may be of the country. I don't know if that's, that, that's called the same thing in, in the UK. I can't remember. Um, and take advice that say, is it, is it safe uh, to play? And if it is safe to play, in my opinion, you should finish the season. Obviously, there's a, a very little time uh, between the season ending and season starting. The Euros have obviously been postponed already, um, mm. so I, I think I think it's important to finish the season, but that that might become physically impossible. Um, I think the cutoff point will probably be about the end of June, uh, maybe June thirtieth, uh, and if, if that's not possible to finish the season, then you have got to look at other contingencies. And the other contingencies to look at is to say, right, you know, you know, have they played seventy five percent of games? Are you going to keep the league like it is? Maybe promote two teams and keep all the teams that are in there at this minute in time. But those are things you all have to look at after you've exhausted every type of opportunity, every type of option to finish the season off.
1: Yeah, because obviously Villa have got a game in hand at the moment. We've played one less than everyone else, which I think adds some complications to it as well. Just before we broke because of all the coronavirus stuff, Villa, they obviously put in a good display in the cup final despite losing, but then you hope that they carry that on into the next game. And then they got absolutely pummeled at Leicester. Villa are now on their, their fourth goalkeeper this season, which is which is incredible. What have you made of the goalkeeping situation at Villa Park this season?
2: They've been unlucky. Obviously, to suffered injuries to Tom Heaton and uh, and Spear. Um, you know, Lovro Kalinic uh, hasn't played a game. He's he's out on loan. I don't know if he's been recalled at the moment. Pepe Reina has been brought in. Nyland, you know, as when I was watching him, especially in the semi final against Leicester, he did really well. Um, so it's, it's, it's been, um, it's, it's sort of been a, a mishmash. And I mean that in the best possible way There's no disrespect to any of the goalkeepers, uh, in terms of, you know, who's playing and who's not, it's, it's rather unsettling. And I don't know the characters personally. I, I think competition for players uh, for places is great. And I don't mind, you know, if I'm not if, me personally, if I wasn't playing well and somebody came and took my place and did well, well, that that's the way it is. It should be the same, uh, for, for every position, but there are a lot of goalkeepers who are not like that. Um, in terms of they like to have that security of thinking to themselves, all right, even if I do make a mistake, I'll keep my place. So um, that's up to the manager to ascertain, to, to see whether or not what particular character is is suitable for that. And the fact that they've got Pepe O'Reilly, mean, obviously they're bringing in experience because of this you know, important running. But you know, as we saw at Leicester, it's, it's very, very difficult because Pepe O'Reilly has been used to playing for, for teams normally at the top end of the table, especially from, from his Liverpool days onwards, you have to say. This is about survival, and the only the only real benefit of any type of experience that I can give is is that season. I think it was after we won the League Cup where we we ended up finishing seventeenth, and um, poor Big Ron uh, copped a bullet halfway through, and Brian Little took over, and um, that that was a, it was n- not a nice period. It's not the type of period as well that you feel as though as a goalkeeper, you know, pretty much every mistake could lead in a goal, and you know what the stakes are, so it doesn't really lend yourself to sort of playing you could probably say your natural game so hence why they probably went for experience but right this moment in time I think the best bit of advice I could give is forget about experience or whatever whoever's playing well and that that goes for every position should basically start because I think it's too important right now to start thinking about anything long term it's got to be right here right now I
1: have to ask you about Jack Grealish before we move on to your career at Villa just what have you thought of him this season? He's, he's took his game up another level in the Premier League,
2: hasn't he? he he's been outstanding, I, I think, for, for quite some time now. Um, and, you know, and I'll definitely ask him. And I think himself as well has reaped the benefits of him staying on. I mean, there was talk, obviously, when they went down that he was going to leave and this, that, and the other. And he stayed on and brought Bill back up. And and he's really coming to his own. And, uh, and you know, hopefully for Villa's sake, you know, I, I really do hope that's one of the reasons why I hope they stay up. If they stay up, he's the type of player that, you know, you can throw the bank out if you like, um, to make sure he stays. And if he doesn't, you get as much money for him as possible and replace him. You'll never be able to replace him. There will only be one Jack Grealish. But replace him with two or three players that, that are going to benefit the squad. But everything is up in the air because, you know, if you go down, then that's a different story altogether. You can't blame me if they went down. And then, say, for the second time, he, he turned around and said, look, listen, I stayed last time. But th- you know, at this stage of my career, I don't think I can stay.
1: So at the moment at The Athletic, obviously there's not any, any live football going on at the moment. We've done a bit of a throwback to the 98-99 season. Now that's probably not an ideal season to talk about with you, Mark, but we just wanted to cover it because mm. that was actually your last season at yeah. Villa. So, so coming into that season with one year left on, on your contract, what were you thinking mm. at that time?
2: Well, at, at, at that specific time, um, I was open to everything, basically. There's no sort of secret that I've been contacted by a, a few clubs, um, even even before that season. Uh, obviously through my agent and so forth um, to to ask about interest. But I, as I told my agent at the time, um, you know I, I was happy uh, to stay where I was because I had a, such a fantastic time at Aston Villa, and I truly believe still um, that that we could go and do something, and I mean something major. And the way we started off that season, uh, I was pretty much proved to be correct. Uh, but unfortunately, I picked up, a, it was a game against Coventry. And uh, I think it was George Botang. It was a, like a cross cross came in from the left. I think it might have even been Steve Froggett <laughs> who used to play for us. And I came to punch the ball and he went to head it and he headed me right in the shoulder. And uh, we ended up winning that game. But I remember like I, I, I got a knock on the calf as well. And I remember saying to Jim Walker, who was a physio at the time, I'm not so worried about the calf, but the shoulder feels a bit something wrong. And, uh, and it, it, it was, it was a rotator cuff injury, and I was out for about three months. But the boys continued their, their winning streak. I think it was one of the, the best starts we ever made. I can always remember, uh, probably with hindsight he, he, uh, he, with hindsight, he wouldn't have done it. But John Gregory at the time, he was a fantastic manager. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit to, uh, in terms of a, a really good manager that he was and a fantastic footballing mind as well. Uh, He'd obviously worked under Terry Venables and people like that and had the experience of of being assistant with Alan Evans to to Brian Little. So he'd seen and done, and he'd done his own stuff at Wickham and that as well. Um, I remember him, but with hindsight, he probably wouldn't have done it again at Southampton when they'd done the record that they took a picture at the end of the game. Yeah, um, I remember it. <laughs> at, at, at that time. And, and I always remember as well, I mean, that was the year that Manchester United won the treble. And, and, and I was, I, even though I was out, I remember that game that they played against Manchester United at Villa Park. It was 1-1. It was very close. You know, it, it, those were two, two teams, you could say, that were really going for it. And In the end, we, we petted out uh, and, and didn't, uh, you know, didn't, didn't get near what we should have done. But um, I think in the end, like I said, uh, at that stage and, and then being injured, it sort of threw everything up in the air um it, it was difficult because i was also best friends with dwight york he'd gone to manchester yeah. united they were one of the clubs who were who were interested and had been for some time and i had him sort of pulling on my strings continually um but in the end um at the at the end when it came down to it it was really it was down to me um you know i i understood that villa you know uh, at that at that time as well and me being on the transfer on the tr- uh, free transfer um that you know I, I remember saying to the late deadly Doug Ellis, look, I don't want to rock the boat here because what, what I'm being offered and, and what would you would pay me it would just ruin your your, trans, your wage structure completely. So I, I understand that they were disappointed. And I always, like I said to them, from what Aston Villa had done for me, I'll never forget. But I just thought it was the right time to go.
1: Did Steve Staunton leave in the, the summer before and obviously Dwight, who you, you've just spoke about as well, did, did that kind of help you make up your mind?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, not so much. As I say Steve Storn, It was more Dwight. It was I'd speak to Dwight probably three times a day, you know. Um, and the, the only then the only once I made my decision to go, the only the only decision was to make them whether or not to go to Italy or, or to stay in England. Um, and and that's what it, that's what it really came down to. And I, I, know, I just had a feeling, in the end, it sort of proved right that I just like this was the time if I wanted to win something. My big thing was always to win trophies, and you know I, I was brought up. Uh, in football uh, at Manchester United as a youngster. And we had a coach called Eric Harrison, who's unfortunately passed away. He used to always say, if you win trophies, everything else will take care of yourself. And that type of conditioning really wore off on me. And I had the taste of those two League Cups. And I wanted more, uh, simple as that. So um, in the end, I, I plumped for, for Manchester United. And we won two trophies in that season. So um, I did win those trophies. You can put it that way.
1: Was it like a sense of unfinished business at Manu as well? Because obviously you started
2: in yes, England very, very there much as well. So. Yeah, very, very much so. I was denied the chance to stay in the country because of a work permit, and um, and yeah, very much so. It was it was like, and I really wanted to to go back and, and finish off sort of what I'd started, and and to win the league. Really, that was that was everything to me. And you know, and then to win that World Club Championship, although it was just one game, um, it was still something that being an Australian. Um, you know, I, I was realistic enough to know that I, I didn't think, even though I'm always the, the ever optimist, but I didn't really think deep down that Australia in my footballing lifetime would win the World Cup, <laughs> maybe a cricket or rugby union, but not a football. Um, so that was another sort of fulfillment of, of a massive ambition from when I was very young.
0: Was it was it more Mark that that Villa threw away the, that title that season, or more that Manchester United had done the double? I mean, was it just a bit of both that sort of swung your mind?
2: Um, no, I, I I think I don't think it threw it away. I, I think um, I, I think it's what they did. I mean, they they pushed themselves, and and so did Arsenal. If you remember, I mean, it went down to the final day. Um, I think it was more what what those two teams and other teams did rather than Aston Villa sort of throwing it away and maybe it was a little bit I mean I wasn't remember I was trying to get myself fit at that time so, but I was able to watch as a close observer I, I don't really think um, that when when it came apparent to, to everyone at the club that they had a real chance of winning the title I I don't really think that uh, they expected that at that time. We, well, no, none of us really, really did, and hadn't really been in that situation before either. Uh, I had been in that situation in the inaugural season um, of the Premier League when we come very, very close, and, and I broke into the team from Christmas. So I had that experience to know that it's, it, you know, it's, it's no, it, it's, it's harder. It, it's sorry, it's easier than it seems, but harder than what you think. But it's, it's nothing to be afraid of. That's all. And I just sure. think that. You know, after what happened, like I said, I think it was Southampton away and then people started saying out their title contenders and they were, don't get me wrong. But I just think then during those, you know, the, the long winter months of January, February, I think the things started to take its toll. And by the time March came around, it, you know, it, February, March, they were too far out the way then to sort of to, to bring it back.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask because we, di- we didn't just fall away. We completely fell out of contention and I, I don't think we even yeah. ended up qualifying for the UEFA Cup in the end. So it was a real bad bad run that we had. I've, I've actually spoken to John a couple of times about that season and he talks about the fact that you were missing. Then Hugo Eckyard ends up being-, being missing for a long time. We had a couple of other yeah. injuries as well. You talk about that experience of being in a title race because John brought in people like Paul Mercer and, and Deion Dublin who had good experience, but the squad in general, you're right, there were some young players in there as well. We just, we just didn't have that, that consistency and that mental strength f- to be in a title race, did we?
2: No, and, and look, Dion Dublin had that experience of being in the squad at Manchester United. The, no doubt about that. So, you know, he, you know, was what like he could push. Um, but And Paul Merson, definitely. Um, but you need more than that. You know, Hugo, um, bless his soul, you know, would have been, you know, John's exactly right, would have been sort of, and myself, I'm, and I'm not sort of overplaying or, or, um, or being conceited or anything. It's just that in that dressing room, when you got four or five, then it's a little bit different than just having two or three because when things start going wrong, um, you know, as we're seen all around the world at this moment in time, people start pointing the fingers and looking other ways. And, and it takes a lot at that, at that particular moment for someone to say, okay, look, listen, what's happened's happened. Let's pick ourselves up because we're only a win away from everything being different here. But just as winning becomes, a, you know, a real momentum and a real habit, so can losing. And, you know, that sometimes, you know, when it gets to that point where the sort of the spotlights on um, and collectively you, you're not doing what you were doing earlier in the season, you're looking for every type of angle to sort of say why. A lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people, and sometimes it's only human nature, tend to sort of just say, well, look, listen, I'm just going to, you know, look after myself and make sure I, um, you know, make sure I'm okay and this, that and the other. And if you have three or four like that, um, who are sort of, and it's not a selfish thing, and it's not sometimes a conscious thing, it's just sometimes a, a survival thing. If you have three or four like that in the team on a Saturday, that's like playing with seven or eight men, and that makes a big difference.
1: It was Michael Oakes that, that filled in in for you yes and i've spoke to john before as i say and he spoke Mm. about michael struggling to deal with the pressures of the whole end he would always keep a clean sheet in front of the north Mm. stand but when he was playing in front of that aggressive intimidating whole end, he used to struggle was was that something Mm. that you ever found or were you just mentally so so strong
2: um michael oakes was mentally very very strong as well and he was a fantastic goalkeeper and you know i played some of my best football with him pushing me really really hard his kicking was absolutely amazing um, and, you know, they, <laughs> I was always asking for tips because mine was nowhere near <laughs> like he, like his was. But um, in terms of from the mentality point of view, I think, I don't know, I I, I don't think, I mean, he's never, never. and how I was very close to Michael, you know, with the goalkeepers that were very, very close to each other and I always try to offer, and especially when I wasn't playing, any type of tips or this, that and the other. Um, and I never got that feeling that it was mainly the intimidation of the whole and just maybe coming back to what I said to you about now when they're in that in that relegation uh, sort of experience um, that uh, that that sometimes you become more afraid of making a mistake than just being yourself. And uh, like I said, from my my point of view, um, it's really it's it's how you take it, I, I guess. I mean, my point of view that it was that you know standing behind the whole tent was well in front of the whole tent, if you like, um, sort of you know inspired you. You sort of you know wanted to do it even better. Whereas it, everyone's different, I guess, you know. Um, I'd rather stand in front of my own fans than, than go up the other end and, and stand in front of other fans. And at that time, that was when they used to put the opposition fans behind you there. So, and and me personally as well, and that's what sometimes got me in trouble. I never, I used to block out the crowd as much as I possibly could uh, until I, you know, if sometimes I'd maybe want to, you know, sort of mess around on that. But then I got in big trouble for messing around <laughs> once, as you all know. So I kind of knocked that on the head. So, yeah, but that, that's an interesting point you actually brought up because. Like I said, for, for for me personally, it was it was always something that uh, was sort of like you know I you know really looking forward to it, and conversely as well when you played away from home as well, it sort of inspired you even more to sort of to keep things out. But interesting, you said that because I, I never really looked at it from that that perspective. Um, and like I said to you as well, everything's you know everyone is different, very very different on how they approach things.
0: I was just going to say, Mark, it seems like you have you replay that like to quite have a bit of fun on the pitch as well you know you you really look like you're enjoying yourself at times do you feel like that's almost gone out of the game a bit now
2: yeah i wouldn't say almost gone um i just think they probably don't show it as much perhaps so um and look for me and you know that's why i was so lucky at what i did and that's why i was so devastated when it was taken away from me um that that every saturday and every wednesday or whatever it may be sunday tuesday or, or that the time that i was on the pitch was was my everything that's everything i you know, everything I wanted to do, I've, I felt as though that I belonged, and and that was everything I sort of trained my mind and myself to from from a very early part of my life. Um, and in terms of today, I, I just think, like I said, you know, we hear about Generation Y and Generation X and Generation. Everyone's a little bit different. Um, I, I think sometimes the the boys today. Um, and I can understand that too. Now I'm looking at things from a different point of view, like I told you before, I've got my own two little kids. I think that they're, they're just a little bit different in terms of the fact that they don't want to, especially publicly, they don't want to be seen to be sort of, you know, in any way upsetting the apple cart or anything like that. And that sometimes leads to a little bit of, not inhibition, but just a little bit sort of, just a little bit standoffish. But people shouldn't take that the wrong way because deep down inside, you know, they might be enjoying themselves, or they might be thinking something completely different. And one of the biggest examples of that, I mean, that, that was even at the time, um, was for me Teddy Sheringham. And Teddy Sheringham was someone before I went to Manchester United that I just didn't like. I thought he was, you know, really standoffish and and this and and I just I just didn't like him. And the first trip that we had away, uh, he was my roommate, and then I realised that the, the fact that he was standoffish and appeared to be was uh, arrogant was completely the opposite. It was only because he was shy. So I thought, well, everyone's got a different way of, of dealing with things when the pressure's really on. So that was a great lesson to me. That was even back then. So I, I think like I said, you know, it they could be enjoying themselves deep down, but they just don't perhaps show it maybe as vividly as 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 people did um, uh, you know, twenty years ago or so. Um and, and that's like I said, that's not something that's wrong. It's just something that that's just the way they are and you gotta accept them the way they are. And also as the stakes grow, you, you don't know what's going on in the dressing room. So I haven't played under Dean Smith. I haven't played under some of these, uh, you know, uh, so you could say more modern managers. Uh, and that, that has a lot to do with as well. They set the environment as well. So, you know, they might be very conscious if a manager's turn around and said, you know, are you messing around or something? They're probably thinking, well, geez, I don't want to give him an impression or the crowd an impression that I'm messing around or not, you know, I'm earning good money. I don't want him to think I'm sort of, you know, uh, sort of, you know, taking it for granted and, 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 oppositely as well from my point of view, i would never take it for granted it worked every day to make sure everything was down to that 90 minutes from wherever we played just that everyone has different ways of i guess of showing things and having things that work for themselves and you go through that when you're younger as well you think oh. will you know, this week I'll put my left sock on, or I'll, I'll act in this way, and all that, thinking that hopefully it will work. And then finally, you settle on a thing that's really suited to you, and you and you get the most consistent success out of. <laughs> did, did you have any superstitions when you were a player, or anything? Not really to do great you're ones. Against? No, not really. Yeah, not really great ones. I mean, um, uh, you know, I used to put my left boot on first, but nothing really. Sort of that would, you know, that will sort of paralyse me before I went out if I didn't stand <laughs> second or. If I had the wrong number or something like that, actually one of my best seasons was with number thirteen on my back, so I probably should have kept that number. <laughs> um, so yeah, nothing really sort of you, know, you could say like a, you know. Oh, there was one actually. I don't know, and probably a lot of people who stood in the whole 10 and, and behind the goals at, at away games would have noticed when we scored a goal. I'd always run back and touch the crossbar. There you go. That that was one thing I always did. I don't know why, but I always did it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I was in. I, I was in the whole end from from seven years of age, so I would have seen you do that. Probably hundreds yeah, of times, definitely.
2: Yeah, and uh, odd goals, so you know, one, three, and five would be left foot, and even goals right foot. So I guess you could say that is a super. That was a superstition. <laughs> yeah.
1: I know there's a current Villa player that cuts all the labels out of all his shirts and, and shorts. Sure. He doesn't let any labels be in his gear at, at all at the moment. Back to ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Although we're having some good fun here. Back to that sure. ninety-eight, ninety-nine season. What was your relationship like with John Gregory at the, the start of that season compared to the end? Oh.
2: Brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and even at the end, it was brilliant. Um, you know, we we shared a great passion in Bruce Springsteen. Um, oh, yeah. he, he was a he was a singer that John Gregory loved, and he was the first concert I ever went to as a young kid as well. And he was absolutely he'd done everything possible. He he was fantastic. I mean, really, uh, you know, looking back, they they could have been and were well within their rights to turn around and say, if you don't sign a contract, you're sitting on the bench. And like I would have understood that at that time, I can understand it. Um, but they were fantastic, uh, very, very encouraging when I got injured. Um, and you know he put me pretty much back in when I was fit as well. and I you know I, I wasn't and you know, I wasn't nowhere near what I had been. It was going to take me time. so um, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, I can't say a bad word about him, really. I mean, I tried to get him down here to to manage Sydney FC as well about five or six oh, years really? ago. yeah, but the 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 owners of Sydney FC ended up going going a different way, but Um, Yeah, he he was fantastic. And like I said, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves as as a manager, especially as a tactical mind. But knowing the fact, like I said, he worked under Terry Venables, it's understandable because Terry Venables was like on a different planet.
1: We've actually got some audio of John Gregory talking about you, Mark. We kind of put it down to
3: a little bit of maybe a lack of experience, but we certainly uh, miss Mark Bosnich when he was. Uh, he Again, he, we talk about players, about Merson having a presence, and Mark Bosnich had a had a major presence. And he was another one that would take it into the dressing room at half time. If it weren't right, he would he would voice an opinion. And, and often you, you hear it these days that... You know, half-time team talks are not what they used to be because sometimes I wouldn't need to speak at half-time because there'd be three or four of the senior players all having a dig at each other and and having a dig at the young ones as well. I mean, if you you put on a shirt and you went out there on that pitch, you know, you were going to get as much stick as anybody else. It didn't matter what age you were, or what experience you had. When senior players wanted it done a certain way, they would voice their opinions and and Bosnich was, you know, he was somebody that commanded his penalty box and he would come for a cross and he might drop it and they might score, but he'd come for the next one and that was a great thing about Mark, it didn't bother him, he'd still come for the next, he was such a... Uh, an outgoing person that he would come for the next cross and it just wouldn't and in more and more often than not He would he would uh, collect it, you know So yeah, he was a he was a big miss. We couldn't afford to To lose any of our players because we were still a, a relatively small squad with regard to senior players um, We didn't have the size of squads that Chelsea and, and Liverpool and Arsenal had and, and Manu. Um, we we were very limited and and we couldn't afford to to lose some of our senior players, and God forbid if we lost two like we did with Hugo and, and Mark, it made a, a big dent in our team.
2: What do you make of that, Mark? Yeah, great to hear his voice. Yeah, great to hear his voice. Yeah, he was he was pretty spot on, um, as he as he normally was. But um, and it was really good to hear his voice as well, especially during these times now that that that, that were. That we're enduring all around the world, and and brings back great memories as well. But he, he was he was pretty much spot on, and maybe the only thing he left out maybe is because he didn't have enough time in interview is that he's exactly right in terms of time and 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 giving stick to players. But well, vast majority I can only and I can speak definitely on behalf of me, and I can speak on behalf of the players that he was talking about as well at time. It, it was always done in a way that. Um, maybe for these days, maybe it would still be a little bit harsh, but it was in a way that would sort of make sure that, okay, it would finish off in a way that whoever the the stick was giving out to. And sometimes the stick was not only given out, it was given back. It would always leave that player, that particular player wanting to go out and then to to, to prove and to do something more. It wasn't a destructive type of criticism. And maybe these days, like I said, because, you know, in these dressing rooms I speak to a lot of people that I used to play with and against and, who manage teams and say you've got to be very careful these days because if you say something at, at the wrong time to the wrong person and they take it the wrong way, and especially if they're a powerful powerful person in that dressing room, you lose them. Um, so, so that would be, that would be I think, a, a major difference than, than back then. But yeah, he, he's spot on. He's very spot on.
1: Did you need a link with John again at QPR?
2: I did, I did. It was when I went through these bad times and all that um, that I had and I went through this situation that, that really had nothing to do with football but in the end it, it turned out to be, oh, well, a, a silly situation but um, being a proud person and all that, I was I was going to stand my ground, which I did. Um, but and then I, I was sort of ready to, to get back and, and he, you know, being the good man he really is, allowed me to come and train at QPR and uh, he was there with another guy, I mean, who was a guy who was owning the club at that time. He used to be, I met at, in Birmingham at Aston Villa, a guy called Gianni Palladini. He, he used to, you know, man. he was like, uh, he was, yeah, exactly. You laughed about that. He was, you know, he was a uh, Big Ron's friend and all that. And he sort of somehow he was fronting this QPR thing at, at the time. And he was, you know, he was uh, allowed me to train and all that there. But then then he'd sold the club off to um, to Flavio Briatore and to Bernie Ecclestone came in and Mittal, the, the Indian businessman as well. And unfortunately, then they, they got rid of John Gregory, which I thought was a mistake at the time. But that's, I was just happy just to be training, and get some structure back into my life after what had gone on the, the previous five years or so. Um, but it was always good of him. I'll never forget that. Um, but I'll never forget anything really. But I'll, that, that was a real, uh, that was a different part of my life where I just really needed to just to be able to get up in the morning to go to training and all that, which is really good.
1: It just shows you because... At the, t- at the time like, to me it came across as if you and him perhaps fell out at the end of your time at villa but just hearing no, no, not
2: yeah sometimes you you have to you know you have to sort of read in between the lines and and look at uh, probably at that time as well it probably would have suited the 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 scenario a little bit more to make it out to people like that so to maybe to, to so you know like people don't like to take the blame but there was no blame attached to anyone really he'd done everything he possibly could and more, um, to get me to stay. In the end, it was my decision, my decision alone, really. And, and like I said that, like I said to the late Doug Ellis at that one, that one of the final meetings, I said, look, um, I decided to go and I don't even want to get into the, to the realms of, you know, negotiating because I knew at that time, um, in terms of the money side and, you know, it's, it's like I said, my most important thing was the trophies, but the money side is the second most important thing. Well, it was to me anyway. Um, um, well the fact was that basically even at that time if they put me and made me say say top paid player at the club I don't the equal top paid player I was always very well paid by Aston Villa um that uh, you know that some especially the places in Italy I, they were offering double that so you know it's the, one of these arguments when you say that, you know when you hear about stories about people saying I'll look for an extra two or three thousand pounds a week. Is it really? Well, it's not. I I agree with that. You know, when people turn around and say, "No, for an extra two or three thousand pounds, why would you want to leave Aston Villa and and Birmingham, which has been so good to you?" But it wasn't an extra two or three thousand pounds. It was double, and I didn't want to put put them in that position either. So, like I said to you, it was it was my decision and my decision alone.
1: John Gregory actually ended up dropping you from the whole squad towards the end end of that season, didn't he? Mark, it was coming up to playing Manchester United, and I don't know yeah. whether he felt he was going to be awkward for you, but he just made the decision no, then and then uh, that you weren't going to play again.
2: Yeah, no. That, that, to be fair, that I, I picked I picked up an injury a day before the game, um, so I wasn't hundred percent right. And uh, and he, you know, for that game itself, uh, um, it, it, there was no it was a no brain. I I I, pr- I could have played. But thinking of the fact that at that time, like I said, that, that you know there was a good chance that I might have been at Manchester United, and the fact, like I said, that the day before, it was just during kicking that m- that my ankle sort of just sort of rolled a little bit. I th- it was too big a stakes at that time. I I, I couldn't imagine what were, uh, there was an article written about it as well beforehand about the sort of the, the dilemma. And if I'd gone there not 100% fit I, and sort of not played well, um, I, don't think, um, I don't think any of you would have forgiven me ever. <laughs> no, the Villa yeah. fans can be quite unforgiving.
1: It must be a really
2: weird situation. Yeah, it, it, was, a, it, it was a weird situation. But like I said, then sometimes I think things happen for a reason. The fact that, like I, said, that I picked up, that, the, pick up that, that little injury before, maybe that was God's way of saying this is probably better that you don't. Because like I said, it would have been, you know, either way it would have been a weird situation.
1: Yeah, we actually gave him a run for the money that day as well. I think, I think we lost 2-1 and it was David Beckham. In yeah, screen. I think, a I think Michael Ike saved the
2: penalty of Dennis Irwin yeah. that day as well. Yeah, he yeah. did. Not I mean, many I people can't, did can't that. I can't remember too many penalties that uh, Dennis Irwin missed.
1: No, no. So we were, we were a good side, but we, we just fell short. It feels like yeah. my, my whole life, really, that Villa have always been one of, the, one of those nearly teams. Is, is that one yeah. of the reasons why you left?
2: no. Uh, like I said to, my main thing was that uh, that I like I said I thought I was approaching the stage of my career that like I said that um, I was uh, approaching my peak and I thought I, I needed to go to to win trophies. that that was it. And I thought that, I thought we could, like I said at the start of that season, I really thought we had a shout for the league. Um, but as the season padded out and I was seeing the way things were going, I, I sort of thought, well, maybe this is this is the right time. Um, and I thought we could win some cups and all that. But like I said, my main thing was to win the league. And after being so close back in 92, 93, um, I didn't want to let that chance slip again.
1: Did you leave it with any regrets at all? Or were you completely happy with the way
2: it had all gone? uh, The the biggest regret I had was the, the fact that the club and the fans had been so good to me and I had such a wonderful time. Um, that was, that was the biggest regret in terms of anything else. No, I, I gave it my all for seven years. Um, the only regrets I have that we didn't win more and especially that inaugural Premier League season, I really, you know, like I said, that that used to really play on my mind. Would have loved to have won an FA Cup because it has been so long since Aston Villa won an FA Cup and maybe a European trophy. And I think the closest we come was in that UEFA Cup that year and we got to the quarterfinals against Atletico yeah. Madrid. A whisker away, really. I was watching that the other day, actually, again, with that wonderful goal from Stan Collymore um, and you know and I sort of thought you know just a whisker away really um and then the first league they got a really controversial penalty as well it was funny enough christian Vieri took it who I grew up with here in australia so that was that was really funny but that I mean, that UEFA Cup that year i mean if you remember, I think it was Inter, Inter Milan played against lazio in the final it was a very very strong competition um but um but yeah the, the Premier League missing out in the Premier League in that first season and the FA cup they were that were the two main ones i was so especially the FA cup
1: it's like a sliding doors moment that inaugural Premier League season, isn't it? So yeah, so close. It was. So, imagine yeah, what was. things could have been like had they had Villa done that and got through that and won that league. Yeah,
2: but you know, I said to you before about you know things happening for a reason. I th- I think it was just I don't know. It was Manchester United's time, you know. And I'd been there. And I'd realized you know how much it you know it was it was galling them how long it had been since they won that Premier League. They came so close the season before um, with Leeds, and I'll never forget that day that. Uh, you know, we played against uh, Coventry at home, funny enough. A lot of these things come back to Coventry. <laughs> and, uh, and it was nil-nil. It was nil-nil. I remember that. And we, we had some good chances, but it was nil-nil. And I remember at the end of the game coming in, I remember that was the Easter weekend, so we we're playing Saturday Monday. And coming into the dressing room, Ron Atkinson, you know, gave us a right rollicking and said, so we know, we should have won and blah, 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 and this and that and the other. And he finished it by saying, "You're lucky because Manchester United are one 0 down, and they will be lucky to get a draw." Because you know, because I don't know if you remember, it was seven minutes of out of time that day at, oh, I remember. at Manchester United versus Sheffield Wednesday. Was I think it was the, there was an injury or something like that, and uh, and then we're in the bath and and shower or whatever you want to call it, and and all of a sudden I think it was Jim Barron who came in and said, "You're not going to believe this, but Man, Man United scored two goals in like the last two minutes," and that was a bit of a hammer blow. But to be fair. You know, I used to speak a lot those days to Lee Sharp, who was obviously p- a part of Manchester United because We stayed the same digs as each other. You know, we went to Highbury on Monday and won 1-0. That was a great victory. I remember speaking to him going, God, we, could- we couldn't believe you won that game. We thought that was a game you'd definitely slip up on, you know? Um, yeah, so it was sure. like neck and neck. It was, you know, it really was neck and neck. It was that, you know, we, we played, I think it was, I think it might have been Manchester City, actually, and we'd won. And then the Blackburn during the week, that was a that was real... Killer blow. Um, we got done three 0 at Blackburn, and uh, and Manchester United were playing against. I think it was. I think it might have been Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park, and they kicked off after us. That that was the that was the real killer blow. And then obviously losing then to Oldham. And I think QPR last game. So, it, so it, it 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 was like one of them games when they say the scoreline didn't reflect the, the contest. It was it was same with the points in the end. In the end it was nine points, but it was ding dong really. You have to say until the second last game of the season.
1: Just to wrap up, Mark, a little bit self-indulgent on my behalf. But as I say, I absolutely loved watching you as a, as a kid. I wanted to be mm. you as a kid. I remember getting the, <laughs> getting the, the, the Mark Bosnich sticker and running around my mum yeah. and dad's lounge in the, in the old sticker yeah. albums. But I've just that compiled a couple, a couple of memories that, that I have, have of you in your time at Villa. So the first one, again, is, is some audio. I don't know whether you will ever remember filming this, but this was something a video that I would have watched to death. So this is Squadies that came out in the 95-96 season, and this is just some audio from you at the time maybe have a
2: pizza or something that would be on a Sunday where I let my body sort of recuperate and to rest and to sort of change the system around. But for the six days a week, um, or even seven days a week, I mean, I'll have a, like I said, a, a low fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. But for the majority part of the week, uh, it's more of a necessity.
1: Do, do you remember filming that at all?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And it was exactly right, absolutely spot on. Um, but the funny thing is it, when you finish playing, that the, the, it swaps around. So for six days a week you have the high-fat stuff and then one day a week you try to be dedicated. And then, you, then you look at yourself in the mirror one day and you see one of those pictures that you're talking about, you go, what happened there?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> every other player was pretty much saying chicken, pasta. It came, it came to you, and it was all about the pizza. And yeah. I just remember yeah. watching that video to death as, as a kid and just finding <laughs> it really funny. <laughs>
2: it was good. It was good. I find it funny now. <laughs> and and the, the,
1: the second memory I've got, Mark, it's obviously those three penalty saves in that, that tram. Yeah. there that was a great That was a great day. That was a great I watched it back this morning, actually, before we came on. And those first mm. two penalty saves are actually unbelievable saves because they're not bad penalties. They're just really, no, really w- good
2: saves. A hundred percent. you know. And I was watching about two weeks ago, funny enough. And um, the, there was the, the, the first one that was, like you said, it was, it was a very good save. But the, the, the second one was the the one because Liam O'Brien had a chance to, to actually send Tremier through. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but when I was a young apprentice stroke young professional at Manchester United, Liam O'Brien was there. Uh, and I was actually quite close to him. And we'd stayed back quite a lot doing penalties. And funny enough, he, he did always used to go to that side. And I was thinking to myself, he, surely he knows that. And surely he's going to go to the other side. But I remember just before he started to run, then I had in my head, a good penalty takers normally go to the same side. And even if they take two in one game. So that was as he was about to run. And I sort of thought, okay, well, hold yourself and just go to that side. And I did. And, and thankfully, thankfully, I saved it. Because I think that was just after Richo had missed one in a sudden death. Yeah. Kevin and that is. He had scored that. They were, they were going to go through. And then after that, um, uh, I think uh, we scored again. I think it might have been – actually, it might have been uh, Graham Fenton who scored uh, in a sudden death. And I remember I thought, right, this is the opportunity now. And it was Ian Nolan. And I remember from his approach the way he came um, straight and then when he put his non-kicking foot down where it pointed that where it was going to go. And I just remember diving. I remember just thinking to myself, I could just get your body behind it. And that was just elation. I, I get, it gets tingles down my back now, even thinking about it now, I can like, just remember just running and just running. And then Nigel Spink and the rest of the boys, I think it was Coxie and all that all come. And then all of a sudden I looked up and I think it, it seemed like the whole – of the whole team that basically emptied and come on the pitch, but they were wonderful. I think wonderful they had times. Yeah, they had. Yeah, so oh, wonderful times. Yeah, wonderful yeah, times. The and then times. I remember just trying to regather myself before we did the interview afterwards. But that was a fantastic day.
1: Yeah, and that, and that shirt as well. Dude, I just associate yeah. you with that shirt. I'm actually sat here wearing that shirt now in, that as, shirt. A tri- <laughs> as a tribute. to Yeah, I wanted to get myself in the zone oh, for the for the podcast. Marvellous. But yeah. what what, what are your memories of, of that shirt? Because it's so iconic. And it goes shirt, for hundreds yeah, and hundreds of pounds.
2: Yeah, I, I love that shirt. Um and like I said I had number 13. I was born on the 13th of January 1972 and I I remember then the following season Ron Atkinson saying, "Well, I'm going to keep you in the number 13." And, and I sort of was maybe it was insecure at the time thinking, "Oh, okay. Well, you don't you're not going to give me number 1, but I remember like my dad said at the time, stick with the number 13. It was really good for you that year." Yeah, I, and if I had it over again, I probably would have stuck with number 13 for the rest of my career, wherever I went, because like you said, it, it became a bit iconic. I could have kept that as a number, but I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> yeah, and eventually
1: <laughs> you obviously did make it to, to number one. and. If you asked me to pick my best Villa Eleven now, you'd certainly be wearing the, the number one shirt for the oh, time that I've been so supporting much. Aston Villa. Really it's been an absolute yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. It's, it's been a dream to talk to you and I found it really interesting and I'm sure everyone that listens will as well. Thanks for the memories and, and thanks for talking to us today, Mark.
2: And thank and thank you so much and thank every Aston Villa supporter and people in Birmingham for, who, who were so nice to me while I was there. And uh, and I will be back one day, don't worry about that. <laughs>
1: So Greg, I mean, for me, absolute fanboy I've come across there but I just couldn't help myself talking to Bozzy, how did you find that? yeah brilliant you know
0: I've, I've interviewed uh, Mark a couple of times over the years and he's always been so helpful and insightful um, great to get him on there and you know share some thoughts and, and get some you know stories that we've never heard before so brilliant yeah and, and obviously he's had his you know his own issues in, in his life and his career and it, it's good to see him in a, a good and happy place there at home in Australia with his kids and, and obviously speaking so highly of his time at Villa
1: so that's it for today's edition of 1874 we hope that it's brought you some relief from what's going on in, in the world currently and it's it's also giving you a chance to take a trip down memory lane and listen to Bozzi's thoughts of his time at the club. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to get into some of the athletics written stuff as well, remember you can use the code VILLAPOD and that'll give you 40% off the athletics content. Thanks ever so much for listening and up the villa.